This podcast is a member of WGPRN, WildGamesProductions.com. Prepare for wizardly combat. I want to show you a trick mother showed me when you weren't around. Welcome to Spellburn, a podcast covering the Dungeon Crawl Classics role-playing game and old-school adventuring. It's time to party like it's 1974. Hi, and welcome to another exciting episode of Spellburn. Last week, we formed our party of Level Zero podcasters, managed to survive our premiere episode, and now we're all first-level judges. I'm Judge Jim, and with me tonight are my two dungeon-crawling co-hosts, Judge Job and Judge Jeffrey. How you guys doing? Good, hey, pretty good. How you doing, Jim? What's going on? Not much. Ready to get the show on the way. Okay. <laughs> Awkward transition to be edited out later. Yeah, no big deal. That's all right. Well, let's uh, head on into the tavern and do some tavern talk. And the first rule of bartending is this: GBTB. Go beyond the book. Go beyond the book. What do you have? Heineken. <laughs> this. Tavern talk. So, what did we all do in gaming this week? How about you, Job? I actually had some fun this week. I ran a world tour game at my local game store in Seattle. I didn't really have anything prepared. I had some swag in a box, so I was like, all right, I'm just going to go down and run something. I ran one of the one-page dungeons. I'm not sure if you've seen those before, but... I haven't. It's a contest that... The, that uh, I'm, I forgot who, exactly who puts them on every year, but... The contestants format dungeons so that they fit on a single, you know, eight and a half by eleven piece of paper. So that's maps, location descriptions. Uh, usually not stat box. It's supposed to be uh, system agnostic. Anyway, I, I, I wrote one this year, and it actually ended up winning for uh, what are they called? Best homage. So it's it's called Into the Demon Idol. I may not know what those are, but I've read the one that you wrote, and that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, so basically, uh, I was just I was looking at the the AD and D player's handbook cover, and you know, there's like the demon idol, and these dudes are trying to, you know, pry the gems out of the eyes, and then there's this altar with dead lizard men on it for some reason, and some other people kind of talking down below. So I had this idea that uh, for my one page dungeon that um, the demon idol was actually this gigantic. Uh, like a robotic death machine that, that you could actually power up, turn on, and, and uh, it shoots lasers out of its eyes. And it has all those gears and stuff inside that make it work. And uh, so I basically did a one-page dungeon where you go inside and, uh, you know, ostensibly the player should figure out that, hey, I could actually, you know, jury-rig this thing so that I can actually start it up again and, and uh, go on a killing spree. So I actually took that and just ran it as a level zero funnel game. And it actually worked out pretty well. 
one guy that played it, re- I really enjoyed it. And uh, I kind of wish I had written some more notes because I just kind of spontaneously went off and did it. And, uh, you know, once they turned on the machine, he's like, all right, now what are we going to go kill or something? And it's probably the most important part to think about before I started running the adventure. But I, I quickly wa- uh, winged something, but it, it could have been a lot better. Uh, the Oh, sorry. Do you have a question, Jim? No, I was just going to say it sounds like pretty good winging to me. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> sounds like fun. Sounds like a, a fun adventure. Yeah, it turned out well. Actually, I'm I commissioned a cover for it, and I'm I'm trying to put together like a like a fanzine mini adventure type of thing for it to kind of expound on it a little bit because I got a uh, a lot of positive feedback on it and posted it to a few forums, and everyone's like, "Hey, this is awesome! Tell me when you uh, make something bigger out of this." I'm like, "Okay, uh, that's a good idea. Hopefully, by Gen Con, I'll have a little little something put together." Sweet. So, what have you been up to, Jeffrey? Uh, let's see. This week, I ran my online game over Roll Twenty and. Uh, G plus Hangouts. Uh, we just started in on Blades Against Death, uh, which was DCC Adventure number seventy four, written by Harley Stroh. It's a fourth level adventure. The premise is you, the characters venture into the realm of death to steal a soul from death's hands. So far, it's pretty good. We're still pretty early on into it. It's sort of a, a three phased adventure, and we're in the first phase of it. But it, it went pretty well. It, it should be interesting to see how it turns out. The characters are actually going after. They had a wizard die recently who they're seeking to try to pull back from death. And then there's also a, a guy that his character is going to be a sailor, which was sort of funny because he'd never sailed before. But he's going to be a sailor, and I may have a way to work a sailor in. So they may try to rescue two people from death's door that have passed away in earlier campaigns. So that's going pretty well. And I also got the tower out of time, and I've been prepping it for Origins this coming up week. Looks like a fun one. That's written by Michael Curtis second level adventure and like i said i'll be running that at least once at origins maybe twice if uh times match up for another run of it so that that's what i've been doing this week i can't wait to play that one the dm at our uh, friendly local game store is going to run it for us on free rpg day is it it's you'll have a blast i mean it's just it's solid it'll be fun well of course uh i just got back from you can tell by the con burn in my voice I just got back from North Texas RPG Con, and I, you know, I could spend a whole show just talking about that. But I will say that uh, the Dungeon Crawl Classics game I got into, I felt like royalty. Michael Curtis was running the game. We did his convention adventure, um, A Night of the Town, where you basically get chased by undead monsters. And I had originally not signed up for it because I'm like, I've already played. He goes, Oh no, I've I've got all kinds of stuff in there. It's different every time. Please play. And uh, I got to sit next to Errol Otis and play in the same party as him and two of my uh save or die podcast mates uh liz and mike stewart who we'd never gamed in person were there and i got they were in the party and and (laughs) we had fun and i was i leaned i leaned in there first of all i'd go into a trench or a dungeon with errol otis any day he was just fantastic gamer i don't know what i expected i didn't i expected him to be great but it was really he was really really good but i leaned into him at one point because mike was just running amok standing up waving shouting in a crowded crowd room a con room and uh to the point that like tim cask and frank mincer came over to spectate on our game and see what the hell we were doing and i leaned into errol and said this is like being dm by stan lee and errol goes well, i don't understand what do you mean and i'm like well, you know stan lee was famous for explaining his plots to the artist at marvel by standing in his chair and acting out the action mike's just he was doing a really good job it was a very theatrical gm the the thing I learned about, about uh, Errol uh, was uh, he 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 ran a few games, but every single available game slot, all con long, he played, 
and I can't do that. Yeah, that's I, tough I, to play Maul. He was he was a, a maniac. Oh oh oh! And uh, I got my hands on the Jeff Easley rule book before it hit stores this week. And, oh, nice. and was and was right there where I could have Harley and Aero Lotus and Diesel and uh, uh, Jeff Easley all sign it. So does it look as good in nice. person as it does online? It's wonderful. It's like having a Jack Vance hardback right in your hands. That's awesome. I really like the look of that one. The colors in it and stuff. I, I, it's one of my upper favorites of the limited editions. They went yeah, me, fast. Yeah, me too. Actually, uh, I, Harley uh, Stroh on G Plus was said there was like a run on them or something. Uh, at the con, you mean? Yeah. They had uh, sent a box of stuff, and there were two in the uh, the initial shipment that that the Goodman Games sent to the show, and I snagged one of those right away, and uh, somebody else got one. And then Harley came in with uh, more rule books, and uh, Sunday they were all gone. I don't know how many that was, but it was a bunch. It was really good stuff. Well, okay. How about we uh, do some emails? And this is uh, some an email portion of the show uh, because this is only the second episode. We don't have any emails yet, but you can write us and tell us what you like. Wait, about wait, 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 wait. Hold the phone there, Jim. Yes. You say we don't have any emails? Uh, am I incorrect? You are incorrect. We actually just got an email. I'm not sure if you got CC'd on it. It is uh, from a, uh, what's the name here, uh, Rick Hull. And oh. Rick writes, <laughs> you guys understandably raved about the poor rulebook's artwork in your last episode. Do each of you have a single favorite piece among what seems hundreds of choices? Oh, thanks, Rick. How about you, Jeffrey? Do you have a single favorite piece oh, of wow. art? Oh, wow. Single favorite. I don't know if I can pick out a single favorite. I'll just flip open the book. and. <laughs> I know. And that's almost if, all if, I if, have if to you do don't think this. about it and just spit out a knee-jerk response, that's probably the one. Shoot. Um, back on towards... Back on page 433, there are some, it's in the, like the NPC section, there is a picture of some thieves, a person picking a lock on a door. I'm not even sure who the artist is on it, but it's a picture of some roguelike guys picking a lock on a door. And I just think that does a, I don't know, I just get this image of someone in a dark alley or streetway, you know, trying to pick this lock to get in to get where the, you know, where the treasure is and stuff like that. I, I like that one. That's a pretty good one. But like I said, to pick just one is <laughs> that's a tough one. Well, right. There's so much good art in there. How about you, Joe? Well, that one isn't that Russ Nicholson or? I think so. It looks like his style. I forgot his last name. If it's Nichols or Nicholson. I just looked yeah. at it and it's great art, but I don't recognize the artist. Yeah, Russ Nicholson. He's yeah. great. I, he's definitely got a unique style. I always uh, you, know, you can pick up on easily. Well, you know, there's a lot in this book. Probably one of the, the top ones for me is page 11. The, there's a dragon shooting fire out of his hand, and he's got flames coming out of his eyes. And then, uh, you know, he's melting a bunch of people, and there's some little strange creatures in the bottom left-hand corner. And there's a wizard casting firebell or something. Maybe it's Magic Missile. I don't know. I just love that one. It just kind of sums up DCC RPG, I think, which is like, you know, why isn't the dragon breathing fire? It's like, oh, he's just casting spells, you know, something <laughs> new yeah. and different. Yeah, that's a guy there that's that Peter. Shield. That's Peter Mullen, and Peter Mullen was my favorite piece because I didn't have to stop and, and think. I mean, all the art's great, but the second you read that email, my brain went straight to I think it's Peter Mullen where the wizard has used has used an enlarged spell, and he's huge, and he's got some portals schmuck in his hand, getting ready to zap him. I don't know the page number, but I'm thinking that's somewhere around the magic system. You know the one yeah. I mean? 
Oh, I know exactly what you mean. Because that kind of uh, sums up the system, too, in a way. Page 107. Oh, there you go. Yeah, Good love job. that one. Just love that cool, like, double wizard. Oh, yeah, that is know, awesome. Hat. That is a fun Oh, one. I had it backwards. The, the wizard's cast in large, and he's a giant, and the other spellcaster is trying to get him with some magic missiles. That's yep. the one you meant, though? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah, yeah, it. I love that one, too. Uh, it really sums up the system, I think, when you look at that picture. Yeah, it is a good one, too. Well, thanks for the email, Rick. You're you're a sneaky guy. I noticed Rick got in and commented on uh, one of the episodes on the website that hasn't gone public yet. He found it somehow. Yeah, I, I don't know how he did that. And In fact, I had put a password on the site, and then I took it down, and immediately, like, I don't know, an hour later, he had posted that comment. To figure out which spells he cast to do that. Must have been hanging F5 over and over and over. To... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks uh, for the email, Rick. And uh, anybody that wants to write us, our email address is theband at spellburn.com. Or you can uh, leave us comments on our forums at osrgaming.org. And we'll have the uh, forum link on the uh, Spellburn website. So you can just toggle right over there. How about some Mighty Deeds? Mighty Deeds. Okay, tonight's episode, we're going to just talk about and focus on uh, one of the distinguishing features of the Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG system, and that's the character funnel. Anybody that's heard anything about the game, even if they've never played, has at this point heard about the character funnel, because that's one of the things people talk about, like, I don't... I mean, we even talked about it last episode where, uh, Job, I think you said you looked at it and said, I don't even want to run this because nobody's going to enjoy it. So what's the whole point of the character funnel, you think? Why do it at all? You want to jump in there, Jeffrey? Hey, go ahead, Job. I was just going to say, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned it last episode, but um, you know, when, when the game first came out and I, and I read the, the character funnel rules... I just said, I'm not going to run this. this. is ridiculous. And and to the point of even, I looked at um, Sailors on the Starless Sea, flipped to the adventure, and then I was like, oh, it's level zero. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna buy this. No one's gonna play it. It doesn't look like fun to me. Boy, was I wrong. I mean, that's that's definitely the most fun uh, part of introducing new players to the game. I think. I guess the point of level zero is, I think, twofold. First, I think it resets players' expectations of. I, I know what you mean. I mean. Uh, <laughs> It, any it of us who have played for any amount of time now are sort of jaded to the basic fantasy D20 system. We know what to do. You show up, you know, you roll your dice, create your first level character, and head straight to the dungeon. Well, not even that, though. It's just the lethality. I mean, when you, if you come from 4th edition or you know, Pathfinder 3.5 or something, just more modern games, it seems like you know, horrible, agonizing death, you know, while promised, doesn't actually loom around every corner. When someone plays a level 0 funnel... You know they're gonna die, and they're gonna die multiple times. And you kind of uh, get people to unlearn their. Well, I'm just gonna walk in every room, and I'm gonna, you know, shoot the beholder in the face, uh, and and uh, kick open every door. You start out the game, and you you're just so pathetically weak, and you get destroyed and killed over and over. And that brings me to the second point, which is if you uh, build a bond with this character. You have your, you know four scrawny guys and maybe you make it out with one or two of them that that make it to level one you're like yeah all right you know this this guy that just had a you know a rolling pin and a and a, and a bag of dough can actually uh you know i don't know I, one, one of my level zeros was a gong farmer a, a dough is not what i had a bag of 
<laughs> um, oh, j- jump in, Jeffrey, anytime. Yeah, I think uh, the, the resetting the expectations at the zero level funnel, it, it does. It takes you from some of the, you know, if you're used to some of the, you know, D&D 3.5 or Pathfinder 4E or something like that, where, you know, you build your character and, and you know, I don't, yeah, there's character death, but it's, it's sometimes far and few in between. It, when you first sit down to your zero level funnel, you get over that real quick with the with the amount of, you know, character deaths. I certainly agree with the, the character attachment. And it's sometimes funny. I, I know the ones I've played, you know, I'll have my three or four zero level funnel guys and... I'll have one. I think this is this is the guy I want to make through. He's almost always the first one to get killed, <laughs> you know. Even, even right. if you try to protect him. So the next thing you know, you're left with this guy who you thought is this is not the one I want to go with. And next thing you grow attached to him, and you get him through that funnel. And even though he might not have been the first one, it's uh, you get that unusual attachment uh, to the character, which is I don't know. I don't know how it's weird how it works like that. But uh, so I certainly agree with the, those points as well. Yeah, uh, it's. There's a, there's a, I mean, the the flavor of the game is old school, so there's a style difference there that's built into the mechanics where there's a much higher lethality, say, according to Pathfinder. And it's not that one way is right or the other way is wrong. It's just in Pathfinder society, a party of six characters can, uh, you know, I don't want to say headbutt, but can 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 plow their way through an entire dungeon without anybody dying or too much of a threat of a TPK, depending on how it's being educated. But I mean, this this is like basic D and D. So there, you know, if you don't keep your wits about you and and play uh, cautiously, uh, that stuff's going to happen because it's built into the system. So I really like what you guys were saying. That uh, I mean, it's this uh, the character funnel as an expectation and uh, resetter and sort of a, a play style school. It's like a crash course in old school gaming. You're going to lose guys. <laughs> right, definitely. And I think some another thing the funnel brings to the, the table in addition to resetting those expectations is it actually allows for really fast character generation to get started up and running with the game very quickly. I mean, you can sit down at a table of people who've never played DCC RPG and have characters. You know, if you have at least the judge that knows how it's played, you'll have characters in ten minutes or so, maybe tops. And you're ready. It's to really play. one of the best features of the game. You can sit down and churn out characters very quickly. So I think that's a I think that's a nice way to get into the game to have that fast character generation. So I think that's a factor. And I think the other thing is it sort of cuts down on min-maxing without having to add in a whole bunch of complex rules to keep it from happening just because it wants you to do the random generation. I love how in the rules it says uh, I mean cuz uh, obviously like you just said character generation is is part and parcel of starting the character funnel you have to generate the characters and right at the beginning uh joe and harley say we expect this to be the very first rule you you break but we encourage you when you create the character do 3d6 in order for the abilities for the attributes so when you guys do your zero levels are you still doing in order we do everything according to the rules, except that uh, when we were going through this, uh, none of us had a deep understanding of the rules yet. So we did a couple things wrong. There's an equipment table that you're directed to that's in the back of the book, and we forgot all about that till we'd slaughtered 10 or 20 level zeros, and then we started using it. But uh, we got a huge kick out of the level zero professions because it was like reading High Guy Gaxian in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Some of those professions, one of my guys' peasant zero level profession was gong farmer. And uh, one of the kids looked at me and goes, what's a gong farmer? And I just started making it up because I don't know. I'm like, well, I'm going to say that he grows the best, you know, psychotropic weed 
smoke weed and, <laughs> and I've got a bang. My bag was bag of night. So meanwhile, uh, another guy is looking it up on his phone and he goes, oh, no, no, you basically clean latrines for a living. I'm like, oh, even better. Yeah, that's great how it makes you have to go look things up to figure out what in the world is that. But, you you know, you get your 3D6 in order, so there's nobody with, you know, all the stats are in the teens. You get your level zero professions, which there's a huge table for. Uh, what, what are, your, like, some of your favorite professions besides Gong Farmer? You know, Barber, I had a character that got a Barber, and he actually made that a lot of fun. I mean, it seems strange to choose Barber, but he had his razor blade, I believe, and he had a real good time with his Barber. And so that's sort of a fun one with the, the, the razor blade and stuff, so that was fun. Well, that's part of your level zero profession is that they come with stuff, and it's not great stuff, but you've at least got a straight razor that does 1d4 to try and handle your first adventure with, right? Exactly. And then what is it? Uh, one of them comes with a pitchfork, which is like 1d8 or something like that. I know that's a popular one to get, too. Yeah, the farmer. And uh, your uh, race is even determined by this. Yeah, that's a great point. You, you're, even at the beginning, you don't choose, I'm going to be a dwarf or I'm going to be an elf. You, you roll on the table, and maybe you'll be a dwarf or elf or a halfling. But interestingly enough, when, when you level up, if you're you know a dwarven blacksmith and you want to be a warrior, then you're a warrior. You're not a dwarf anymore. Well, I have not run this. I've, I've played it a lot. You guys have both run it, right? Yeah, yeah. I've run as, it. As judges, so uh, how how do you handle things like uh, you know the player that really wants to run uh, a wizard or, or the guy who really wants to be a dwarf? One thing I've done is just have a multitude of zero levels that I pre-gen form. I'll use Purple Sorcerer's uh, random generator, and I'll generate like forty or fifty of them, and I'll throw them all out on the table. And then they can sort of go through. So if you sort of see, hey, I would like to be a wizard, they can sort of choose from that pool of characters uh, someone they think would fit. So if they want a dwarf, they can pick out the dwarf. Uh, if they want to you know, be a wizard, they can look for the one with the high intelligence and things like that. So I've done that in the past. They're still all randomly generated, but you're sort of choosing from a pool instead of just your three or four you self-generated. Yeah, I do the same exact thing, Jeffrey. It's yeah. just so easy for, you know, game prep. It's like, okay, print... You know, oh, twenty yeah, of these, and then cut them in two, and you, you know, cut them in four pieces, and you're done. Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. I accidentally slipped into the next segment there for a second. So back to as playing the character funnel. Have you guys played yourselves? I have, yes, a couple times. Yeah, I have too. We, uh, I thought it was interesting how we developed uh, strategies uh, right away. Like, okay, I want this guy, so the other three, they're red shirts. They stay in front of him. Yep, always try to protect the one you really like, which sometimes works. Sometimes the threat comes from behind, and <laughs> it still doesn't work. Actually, have either one of you guys ever played um, high-quality RPG, HQ RPG by Ben Lehman? I have not. I have not either. The whole game is just the level zero character funnel. When we, you guys were just talking, I was like, I was about to jump in and go, like, yeah, I played Death Frost Doom as a level zero game. But then I realized it was actually with uh, Ben Lehman's uh, HQ RPG, which is... Which is pretty cool. It's the whole game is it's just like a free thing, you know, three pages, and it's just basically tables, kind of like uh, the character funnel. I, I like now that I'm starting to, to get into some of the older Goodman Games products how you can see Joe forming his ideas a piece at a time for this game, which is why the game itself is so complete and robust because he wrote a module that was specifically for level zero characters. Which one is that? That would be a good thing to be able to say, since I just said it. I can't remember. I, it had a brown cover. Does that help? 
<laughs> Not really. <laughs> but it wasn't this, any of the same mechanics, but the idea was you're level zero in, in D&D terms, and you go on out there. Hey, he snuck some of the weird funky dice in some of those earlier modules, too. I think, uh, oh, Sinister Secrets of Castle White Rock or something like that, he was using a D5 for certain port parts of it. So he snuck some of those funky dice in before TCC RPG as well. What about what do you guys think about looting protocols? Because that became very important. Yeah, I was going to say that as a strategy. Suddenly, your uh, other zero levels are potential loot. <laughs> I mean, many times, oh hey, he's got that pitchfork, and you know, you loot the dead farmer. Uh, you know, so yeah, I think looting the dead has a whole new interest because it's actually valuable to you when they when your when your comrades falls to the funnel. There was one of our guys who was a squire and came with his starting equipment was an actual longsword, and there's 20 level zeros, and we don't have a sword between us. So when he died, it was quite a discussion who got that longsword. <laughs> I bet. If one of your characters is the one that died, I'll let you loot. Unless, of course, there's some story reason. I don't know. I, I don't know about when you guys have run games. A lot of times i found, you know, when you've got 30 characters, you know, in a dungeon, that some of them start breaking off and splitting into going in different directions at the same time. And you kind of got to, you know, swap back and forth and get like, okay, what are you guys doing and what are you guys doing? So if it doesn't make sense that, you know, the characters near their, their, their dead character, then they lose their looting privileges. Whoever's near them can just grab it. We, uh, our looting protocols were if it was one of your level zeros dropped, you had first dibs. And then after that, it would be, you know, just worked out amongst the rest of the players. So that quickly turned into people suiciding some of their level zeros just so they could pile all the equipment onto one character. <laughs> I say suiciding. Volunteering to be in the front of the party. <laughs> exactly. Un- unnecessarily brave. It's definitely a different gaming experience because you're not really a party. There's too many characters there. You're more like an unruly peasant mob. Yeah, it's very much more mob-like rules as far as that goes. Um, well, we, uh, when wait, 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 hold on, hold on. One, one second. Before we go too far off topic, I just wanted to add that the occupation I've rolled up more than once for some reason is uh, Cheesemaker. Oh, yeah? And, uh I just love that one because you end up with stinky cheese, and I'm always trying to think of something to do with that. <laughs> I was determined that my gong farmer was going to take his bag of night soil and light it with a torch in front of a door in the dungeon, knock on the dungeon <laughs> door and wait for the monster to come out. But he didn't live long enough to execute on that. <laughs> That's funny. Well, we kind of talked about the mechanics. Why is it fun to take four level zeros and most likely you know, get wiped out in huge swaths? I mean, because I thought it was the most fun thing in the world. And I agree. It was fun. And I'm, I don't know if I can put my finger on it, but I, I think it's, and it's almost like the first, when I first played the game, when we started with Portal Under the Stars, and I sat down with my son and we sat down at the kitchen table and we played Pathfinder a lot before that. And we sat down and he never, he wasn't used to character death like this. We sat down and I sort of self-judged it. And uh, I think we hit one of the first rooms and we had like, three people die right away and it's like okay rip up those sheets and i mean we both smiled and laughed and it was just i don't know it was just something refreshing to it it's hard to put my finger on exactly what but it's certainly fun i mean it's been great my four-year-old when we played portal under the stars actually started crying the first first time (laughs) full on crying and screaming did you say four yeah yeah oh holy cow by the time that kid's in first grade he's going to be a battle-hardened dungeoneer well, it's a girl. I got three girls. Oh, sorry. They're all battle-hardened, don't worry. <laughs> it sounds like if you're starting them at four, they're definitely battle-hardened. I mean, starting at four by kindergarten, when a character's a battle's just going the wrong way, she's already going to be rolling up the next one. <laughs> right. 
I think it's the different, it being different. I just, I think some we're so used to the character lives and nothing bad happens to him or nothing that bad happens to him that they can't recover from. So I think when it first hits, that first shock is just, it gives you that energy and that new, hey, my character can actually die in this adventure. And it's just, decisions become a little more meaningful and it's a little, I'm going to try to open that door. And there's actual some merit there's a real question of whether or not that's a good idea or bad idea. Well, right. Risk versus reward. Yes. You know, the, the greater the possibility that you be TPK, the greater the reward when you don't. Yes. Uh, that's great right there. Yeah. In a good story, your heroes fail. Right. Right. It, they, and, and, and should as part of the, the Joseph Campbellian heroic, you know, arc, they've got to fail a number of times to learn the lessons they need to learn to ultimately prevail, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it just it just sets up good storytelling, I guess. We, uh, it was interesting, our group, because I, I've described before about how I knew what I was getting into, plus I played back in the old days, so I'm, I'm you know, kill me ten times, I don't care, give me another one. There were about half our Dungeon Crawl Classics group had been playing in the Retro D&D League, and they'd already gotten the hang of that. Thing where you 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 know roll up a new character. Okay, great. Maybe this guy will be better. He's his brother or his cousin. Can I give him his stuff? You know they were all into it. The guys that came straight from Pathfinder, uh, there was a little learning curve there, but they quickly got the hang of it. And by I don't know the third or fourth party wipe, we were, we were just laughing, having the best time. I, I mean we you know it, it it turned turn became one of the bragging rights. We started keeping a jar with all the dead index character cards in it and a tally of what percentage of our hometown we had managed to kill by running them into the, the dungeon. <laughs> That's great. And I think didn't you say that game was like 40 something that got killed? 47 was 47. the total death toll. Yeah. Uh yeah, we did uh we were a little slow and we were actually uh playing one of the rules wrong. Uh, we can talk about it in uh, when we flip over to the judges side of it. There was I mean, it wasn't just the DM Marcos, it was all of us. We had misunderstood the rules and we're playing something wrong that accidentally hampered us a little bit. But yeah, we wiped a whole bunch. We 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 wiped in Sailor of the Starlet Seas. Then he took mercy on us. We went back to town and he tried running us through that portal under the stars and we wiped in it. <laughs> Wait, is that Rick who emailed us? No, no. Uh, I've, I've run in Rick's games. Rick does uh, more one-offs and playtests at uh, one of the game stores. And uh, the guy that's running our campaign at the uh, first game store, uh, his name is Marcos. And I think Marcos is about 26 and oh. some kind of genius computer programmer guy. And uh, he just got interested in the rules and had never played anything like this before, except for the, you know, he was be- he had been run through basic D&D, and he just jumped in and offered to run it. And, um, you know, he, he, he picked it up very quickly, and he DMs a lot like Tim Kask uh, in terms of very true neutral judging. You know, wherever the dice hit the table, that's what's going to happen, and, you know, no big judge prejudice one way or the other, which I'm all for. I like that. Yeah, that's, yeah, a good that's way the way to, to do it. I mean, Michael Curtis and I are, are good buddies, and, uh, uh, you know, I can see the gleam in his eye when he's getting ready to try and kill me. Yeah, my players have learned I take unusual glee when they do ranged weapons into melee. They, they've learned that <laughs> I love it when they try that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jim Ward. He says, oh, well, that makes me very happy. Please, fire into melee. <laughs> yeah, that's the same thing. I'm always like, oh, come on, go ahead. It'll work out just fine, and, you know, something catastrophic happens. Okay, well, anything else from the player side of uh, the character funnel? Yes, play in a funnel Definitely. right now. Give it a try. Stop everything. Even, yes, even if you if you don't like the sound of it, give it at least one try because it's it's really a lot of fun. It's 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 hard to 
uh, describe how fun it is. You kind of just have to do it. Okay, well, that'll take us to our next section, Mercurial Magic. Great all-seeing eye of Agamotto, you must come to my aid! Doesn't weird stuff happen when spells are messed up? I don't feel anything. So that could have gone better. Mercurial Magic. Okay, and this is where we flip it around and talk about it from the uh, judge's side, which um, is uh, much more difficult because you've got to know all the rules and where to get the stuff to run the rules in these level zero adventures. Um, you guys want to talk about uh, where the level zero adventures are to be had? Goodman Games has Portal Under the Stars, which is inside the rule book, uh, and was in one of the free RPG day adventure packets, I believe before the full rule book was out. Uh, I think it was the, like the the beta version or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was released there, but it's also in the core rule book, and it's a great one to start with. It's sort of short, uh, but it, it gets the meaning across pretty quickly, so it's fun. And then Sailors on the Starless Sea, I mean, that's destined to be a classic there from Goodman Games. I mean, I think we've all played that one, or run that one, right? I, I'm in awe and reverence of that particular module. I actually haven't run it or played in it, but I want to rectify that soon. Well worth doing it. And I agree with Jim. It's just, that's how to do a zero-level adventure, in my opinion. It's just, that's, there's a a chance to replace characters along the way. There's multiple routes to do. It's just a, it's a very solid adventure. Uh, So it's it's a really strong one, in my opinion. Sort of a must-play. Don't attack the tentacles. <laughs> yeah, because one of our guys did that. He's just like, ah, he didn't think. He's like, ah, well, I swing at it, and we're like, ah. Oh. <laughs> right. I thought we agreed no spoilers. Oh, okay, sorry. That was well. I mean, a spoiler for something that was published eight months ago. It's not too bad a spoiler. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, it's good life advice. If you see tentacles, don't attack me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So. uh you got Portal Under the Stars that's actually in the rule book and DCC number 67, Sailor of Starless Seas, and there's some other ones too, right? Yes. Purple Sorcerer did uh, Perils of the Sunken City. That's actually one that I started my campaign with that I'm running online almost a year ago now. Uh, we started off Perils of the Sunken City. John Mars of Purple Sorcerer, he also did Ooze Pits of Jonas Grok, another zero level or can be adapted to play for first level, but it's set as a zero level. It's a fun one. It also takes place outside of the same place the Perils of Sunken City did, so you can link them together if you get a little creative. And Purple Sorcerer has another one coming out, uh, Gathering of the Marked, I believe. It's not released yet, but it's getting pretty close, judging from what I've seen and what I've heard on uh, Google+. So that one's probably getting close. It'll be a zero level. It looks to be a good one from what I've seen of it so far. Sweet. I don't have that one. It'll be good. It's good. I got to proof some of it, and it, it looks like it'll be a fun one. And there's also Thick Skull Adventures has uh, Attack of the Frogs. That's a zero level as well. I've read that one, haven't actually had a chance to run it. Sort of an area-based adventure, but that's another one that I'm aware of. That's a zero level for people looking to get started with something like that. I've got that one, and it wouldn't be spoiler territory to say you've got swamps, you've got you know, giant frogs, and an Arnesonian adventure. Yes. <laughs> and uh, Joe, the thing that you're, you've written for Goodman that's going to come out, what level is that? Uh, well, it's level one. I I hope it comes out. I I don't know. I don't I don't have any information about that. 
Oh, we're just going to put that out into the universe and, <laughs> okay. and invoke Patron when it comes out. Exactly. When it comes out, it'll be level one. It's a level one, and it's kind of a spiritual successor to a, a level zero character funnel. So, What's the so, uh, name so, of it? So hopefully you ended up after the level zero funnel with two level one characters. That's, that's all I can say. Mm, interesting. <laughs> it's, well, it's called The One Who Watches From Below. Let's see. That's that. That is sufficiently creepy. That is good. Yeah, the yes. title's definitely good. We were talking uh, last episode too about uh, when we were talking about monsters in general. How easy it is to gear the monsters up and down to whatever level threat you want it to be. I mean, your level one adventure, it probably wouldn't be any big deal to gear it back to zero if you needed to, right? Oh yeah, you could you could gear it back to zero. You probably want to uh, give players. You know, six to eight characters instead of you know the normal. Uh, I don't know. I I consider like four characters per person normal for level zero. I don't know how about you guys. Well, let's let's talk about one of the things that our group did wrong out of ignorance and finally corrected. Um, it says in the rules two different things that at a glance sound differently. The you're running the character funnel. Your players have all these level zeros, and if they survive the adventure, they become level one. I think that's as far as we read. We didn't get into the actual XP awards as you go part. Do you know what I mean? Do you guys have a certain way? Yeah, well, in actually, other words, we, we, we gimped ourselves because we're just slamming and wiping and slamming and wiping and nobody's getting any XP. So we're even the characters that survive are staying level zero. As a fan and listener of Save or Die, when you were telling your stories about, about this uh, genocide that was going on in your <laughs> you know, over and over, I was like, well... You know, they should be leveling up. They should, you know, per encounter, at least get one experience point. And, you know, after 10 of those, you know, hopefully one of those guys lasted through 10 of them and got 10 experience points and, and leveled up to level one. But Yes, we did eventually self-correct and discover the rule. And, and uh, it, was, it wasn't just on Marcos, our DM. And we, were all, we all thought we were doing it right, and we weren't. So we were <laughs> – then suddenly new, about half the party game. was level one. Yeah, new game. Everyone's going to get used to it. I've actually, I've actually not, I mean, I knew that's how it worked, but I've actually had people go not level them intentionally and have them complete the whole funnel. Usually I have to allow them to find prisoners or replacements along the way, but so far, I think it's worked out okay, but it, if you follow it with the, when you hit 10 level, that would certainly make, especially on some of these, much, much more doable at the end than some of the madness that's ensued on some of the ones I've run. Yeah, when you get to the end of Sailor on the Starless Seas, it's it's not easy. No, no, it's intense if you're if they're all zeros <laughs> and banged up getting there. I- exactly. That's a good point too. It seems it seems to me that level level zero adventures should be shorter than Sailors on the Starless Sea. I mean, if you look at the number of encounters and the number of you know experiences points that you can get in an adventure, you probably you know as it, Anyone out there that's that's writing level zero adventures might want to scale back the length of it just just to plan out for people um, leveling up. Yeah, look for example, we were talking about Portal Under the Stars. That's a much shorter adventure. Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I, I was thinking of that when he was talking, actually. Well, what do you do? What do you? Uh, you guys are probably such good judges. This hasn't happened to you, but we did experience it. There was a point where we'd been doing it so long. Uh, some of the players at the table were starting to go, "Okay, this was great. It was fun, but I'm getting a little tired of dying." You know, what are some of the tactics you guys have used to keep players interested after a complete wipe or a TPK? 
Um, you know, I don't think I've had a zero. That the only one I did that ended as a TPK was the one my son and I did because we just flat out didn't have enough. We went in with eight zero levels to Portal, and that was not enough. My online game they thinned out a lot, and I don't know if I had prisoners in there. When I ran Sailors, we had to I had to drop prisoners in there, and they recovered those to keep moving on. But I don't think I've done a zero level TPK yet beyond the one I first did for my son and I. So you're suggesting that somewhere in the level zero adventure there are prisoners being held that can be replacement level zeros. Yes, that's that seems to be the easy... And I've done that multiple times. In fact, I ran one that was not supposed to be a zero level funnel and it was a, a DCC adventure I converted to DCC RPG and to be zero level. And they got to this one spot and I was like, okay, you guys are down to like... Some people had zero characters. You know, we were down to like a handful of characters. And so suddenly, these wicker baskets over here, you find prisoners, you know? And, oh, that's awesome. And, you know, that's how we sort of resupplied the, the party. So that's how I've avoided TPKs is by tending to, oh, you find prisoners inside of such and such. So that's probably the strategy I use. That's probably why I haven't run into a full TPK because I've given them more zero levels before it was to that point. Your party fishes barrels out of the river, and they're full of dwarves. Yeah, exactly. Stuff like that. So, You know, I haven't had a TPK yet uh, doing a level zero, but one thing I have done differently since I started was, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, Jeffrey, that I use the same technique of you as I I print out a bunch of level zero characters with the auto generator at purplesorcerer.com, cut them up, let people dig through them a little bit. They each get their four characters. Everyone starts playing. And I used to, when, when someone killed all four of their characters, I used to let them just go back into the pool and get another one and like, oh yeah, it's in a wicker basket. But now I flip that. What I do now is I, I make them beg one of the other players to give them a character. So And, and the, re- the, the reason I started doing that is because it seemed like some, some people would just go balls out like, oh, I have all the characters, an endless supply of characters. I'm just going to keep killing them. But when they had to like you know beg other people for another character, it seemed like it slowed down that tendency. Yeah, That's and, and I could see that turn it into an assembly line when you feel like oh well the the judge is just going to give me more characters. I could certainly see that. So that is a neat strategy if I come across a player where it's they're burning through them like that. So far, my groups have been pretty cool and they 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 get it. But yeah, I like that idea to. to negate that assembly line effect yeah our dm actually did exactly what you just described joe because uh some of some of our uh, players had gotten so used to the finding new characters to play that they had stopped worrying about actually focusing on let's get this let's get through this adventure yeah i mean it's just another tool to try to correct player behavior yeah i think that's a good one though i'll definitely put that in my back pocket in case i run into something like that okay well um any more advice for budding DCC RPG judges out there, you guys? Um, there's a couple things. Like some people, I get, I think, get overwhelmed with the, the initiative if they try to let everybody do initiative for each character. Do initiative by player makes it a lot easier, and then they do all their characters on their turn. I think that's a something that helps a lot. Uh, I'd forgotten about that, and the thing where you have the character sheets lined up in the order, like many marching orders per player, so that yep. if something hits that player, the first guy up is the one that gets it. Yep, yep, that's good. And another thing for that one, too, because I always run into that, too. You know, I've got 18 people to choose as targets. Who do I choose without being unfair? Lowest luck. Record people's luck scores. And, you know, low luck sometimes is not cool, and it means you get hit first. So, you know, you come between the combination of stacking the marching order and low luck, if you have, you know, people walking to a breast or something like that, those are some quick tips to make it from this overwhelming who do I target out of 18 people to, okay, now I've got it down to three or four and, and go from there. So those are a couple of the 
quick, easy tips, I think, that make running a funnel a little easier for the judge to, uh, who's already juggling quite a bit. That's important stuff because, uh, I mean, I, I hang out with guys that can run a table of 10. I can't run a table of 10 players. I need, I mean, I'm good for about four or five, maybe six. Right. I know when I ran Sailors, it, it was, I was uh, sort of trying to get some kids involved. So uh, one of the other gamers in my group, who his kids are interested, it was huge turnout, filled the house. And uh, I don't know, I think we ran, I don't know, 21, 22, 23, zero level funnels starting, started that. So, you know, it was a lot to, you know, to keep track of there in the beginning and keep it moving quickly so people didn't get bored between turns. But those tips seem to help a lot uh, keep, to keep things moving and rolling. The only other tip I have is probably the same stuff I said last time is just run it, just play it. If you have the book, just run the level zero adventure that's that's in the book, uh, Portal Under the Stars. I, I think some people, uh, I, I think maybe it might might have a reluctance because they're like, oh, well, I, I you know I just ordered my you know my funky dice and I have to wait for them to come in the mail. Like, you know, you don't need any of that stuff to run level zero. It's just you know d twenty and d sixty eight, the normal polyhedrals that you're already experienced with. Don't wait on the dice. Go ahead and play the game. Run a game. I know one more question I have for you guys since you've run this game. Um, do you allow uh, characters who have demi-human level zeros to use any of their race abilities? Can can a dwarf smell gold? Does Mithril actually, or does Iron burn an elf? Or can he pick up that first sword he finds? Let's see, I'm trying to think. No one's ever tried to use the sniff out gold at zero level. I would probably, I'd be inclined maybe to let them do it. And the Iron thing... Yeah, I, I enforce that as well. Well, maybe a better example would be could a level zero halfling uh, push his luck to another player? I do Since... not do that. Yeah, as I recall, like 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 the word from the the Goodman game forums is that you have to be level one to use any of those special abilities. Because so... even though it's racist class, that's your class ability, and you don't get right. It. Exactly. Yeah. And for some reason, you know, you're since you're a, a cheese maker, you can't smell gold yet, even though you're a dwarf. I I don't know, but it usually doesn't come up because most people, when you go through level zero, aren't really that experienced with the game. Uh, at, at least, you know, that's been my experience so far. It just hasn't happened to me. Well, Marcos ran it exactly like you guys described. I mean, for the sniffing gold and uh, you know other class abilities, uh, he just said no, not till you're level one. But uh, uh, because the weapon proficiency rules were a level zero can pick up any weapon and, and not take a penalty, he allowed the elf to swing an iron sword, who which he suddenly became allergic to as soon as he got level one. <laughs> what is this thing I'm holding? Let me drop it. He's like, now that you're more experienced, you've figured out that that's burning your hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure that's the official ruling on it, so might as well run it that way. Cool. Okay, well, let's uh, go to Dungeon Denizens. Go on, boys, chop his head off. Right, silly little beater. Jesus Christ! My armor is like tenfold shields. My teeth are like swords. My claws Dungeon Denizens is part of the show where we are going to review uh, a single monster from the game and uh, talk about it. And uh, I think by group consensus, we decided that a good one for this episode would be the Beast Men from Sailor Under the Starless Sea, since that's a level zero adventure monster. Yes, the Beast Men. So the Beast Men are sort of a cross between beast and man, and 
they play a part in the sailors on the, on the starless sea. I think it's a, a good example from carrying over from what we talked about last week where non-standard monsters, stuff that keeps your players guessing, it keeps them moving. And even in this module, each one of these can take on a different appearance. So even amongst themselves, they aren't the same looking or appearing. So I, I think that that's how the Beastman sort of, here's a zero-level adventure, some people's first experience with the game, and they get thrown to these creatures they've likely never encountered in another game. And not only are they different, they're different amongst each other to just add in even more randomness and variableness to really help push that point home that things just aren't the same in DCC RPG. Yeah, that's actually my favorite thing about the Beastmen. There's a, there's a cool random table where you roll a D12 and it comes up with, you know, whatever characteristics that particular Beastman has. And then even underneath that D12 table, there's some variables underneath that, like you roll like a d4 on top exactly. of it and you have like so, a snake head you yeah. know, or an octopus head or something like yeah, that exactly. I really like that Yep, I agree and I, I like that too I think that's what is, is a cool thing about the Beastman I can tell you from playing I hadn't read through the module when I played it and uh, those things were eerie and they freaked us all out especially at level 0 we didn't know what the hell we were fighting and then later I read actually read through it and it's the stat block is it's just a one hit die monster with a sword you know it, it, it the stats aren't any different from an orc but they freaked us out when we ran into them yeah and that's a good point the the stats aren't changing a whole lot between them and they're not like they're super powerful but it was the same feel I got when I played that adventures you know, we came around and they the the judge described what we saw. I was like, "What in the world is this? I'm a zero level. Should I be fighting this thing?" And you just, yeah, it really it, the unknown. And I think that's cool. I think it helps shake some of us that've been playing these games for a long time. It helps shake us out of our comfort zone a bit. On the judge's side of the screen, I mean, the one quibble I do have with the the Beastmen is that all the stat blocks are the same through the entire book. So, like, you know, even the the sha- the Beastmen Shaman, like, it it has an effigy and. It doesn't have any spells or know how to do anything. It just you know attacks you with an effigy. Well, that's true. But when we were playing it, we didn't know that, and we identified him as their shaman, and so we're expecting him to act like a caster. So we were like, okay, balls to the wall. That's the guy we got to nail. Let's wade through him. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, if you go through like pretty much like if you just look at the stat blocks like the whole through the whole thing, it's you know some of them do like a d6 and some of them do d4, and that's basically the only difference between the stat blocks. So that would be a good example of something that uh, were you to crank this up to a level one adventure, you would just give him a couple of first level spells and maybe a couple more hit points and you're good. Yeah, definitely. Well, even as a level zero, I would probably, even if it still did a D4 damage for the Shaman, I would be like, you know, talking about how, you know, spectral skulls shoot out of his effigy at you or something. I mean, that's good. Spice it up a little bit. Yeah, no, and I think that's good, and I think that's the feel that DCC RPG judges need to get used to. Take, make those tweaks, do them. You know, don't feel like you're beholden to the, to that stat block. If you think this guy needs a little bit more flavor, and it may be flavor that's not backed by game mechanics, and I think that's important too. That it, you know, you don't have to justify everything with a with a feat or spell or ability. It sometimes it's just this thing's weird and it's unique, <laughs> and I don't have a mechanical reason why it can do this. I think as a player, the thing I enjoy the most is I just don't know what it is. Because I've got, you know, the AD&D Monster Manual hardwired in my brain at this point. But when you start getting jumped by things and, and your party's a little beat up and you don't know what it is, that feeling is pretty cool. Yeah, that's 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 a good one. Definitely. And uh, in the main rule book, there's 
tables at the monster section for how you can personalize and, and you know creepy up the monsters with different abilities and forms. But that little table that's in this module, you could use that too for other things besides Beastmen to just uh, give your creatures random heads and features. Yeah, definitely. That table could be used elsewhere. Yeah, actually, there's another one I thought it was really creepy. That I, one of my favorites on that table is uh, you have a head and a hairy. The beastman has a head and a hairy back, and then another head, like smaller head, sticking out of the hair on its back. <laughs> I don't know if you got that randomly in your game, Jim, but uh, no. But I think I dated her once. <laughs> back in college. Um, <laughs> sorry. Okay. Uh, Let's, uh, let's do our final seg- uh, segment, Patron Bond. Who are you? Your new lord and master. What orders from mortal, my lord? Oh, don't trouble. One thing I can't stand, it's people groveling. Sorry. Patron Bond. Patron Bond is a part of the show where on a regular basis, whatever we've talked about that show, uh, unless it's a guest we're interviewing, we're not going to rate our guest. We're going to rate whatever product uh, we reviewed. We came up with a system where we will rate things on a four-tier scale of it's a critical hit, it's just a hit, it's a miss, or it's a fumble. So the uh, character funnel as a uh, game mechanic and feature this game, how do you rate it, Joe? Critical hit all the way. I mean, it's one of the defining features of the game. Your players are going to love it. It's fun to run, and it's just all around a great time. So, critical hit. How about you, Jeffrey? A uh, critical hit for me too. I mean, it, the zero level funnel is a blast. I've had fun with it with every group I've, I've run with it, played in my long term campaign that's been running. You know, we wanted to do another funnel, so I worked up a cutscene funnel for some extra characters for them because we just wanted to do the funnel again. So. I think the funnel system's great. A uh, lot of fun. Uh, definitely a critical hit. That online game's sounding pretty good. You got an empty chair in it? You know, I might be able to have an empty chair uh, in that game, possibly. I've got two so- empty chairs. <laughs> <laughs> got so much spare time on my hands. Okay, well, I'm going to round it out with a third critical hit. So that's unanimous critical hit for the character funnel. In case we've been subtle about it and you missed the point, buy this game and play the hell out of that character funnel okay well i i think that's are we gonna roll uh are we gonna get to roll on a critic uh, a table for our critical hit oh well i you know (laughs) i'm sure between the three of us somebody can come up with a table i love roll i love creating tables to roll on yeah me too um i'm so anal retentive about it though that they all have the information has to be in bands of white and gray (laughs) like in the old D D books Okay, well, I think that probably wraps it up for uh, this show. So we're going to get on out of here. Please uh, tune in for our next episode. And thanks for listening. And until then, just keep rolling 20s and never split the party. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. 